Hi folks, and thanks for listening to this Tortoise Shack podcast. A little bit of housekeeping before we kick off. This is myself and Rory's chat on our instant reaction to the underwhelming budget that was delivered to much fanfare, but very little substance. The second half of the pod is our pre-budget analysis and, and why we we're putting the boat together is because it points to what we think should have been in it versus what actually has been promised. I'm also going to have to ask you to click the link at the top of the podcast that you're listening to. It's patreon.com forward slash tortoise Give us the 30 seconds it takes to join us. It's the easiest bit of activism you can do on a monthly basis. The few quid from you is literally lights on, bills paid, mics on. And you'll be helping us carve out that little bit of space to keep having the conversations that you want to keep hearing. There's tons of additional content, lots of patron exclusives, and all of our podcasts in one consolidated feed. And they're entirely plea free. So one more time, patreon.com forward slash tortoise I'm shutting up now. Enjoy the pod. Welcome to Reboot Republic, the podcast that goes behind the headlines and looks at the big issues in this republic of inequality. We are the podcast of solutions and the podcast of hope, and I'm your host, Rory Hearn. Tonight, I'm joined back in the pod with Tony Groves, producer of Reboot Republic. We're going to discuss the budget and what should have been in the budget. Uh, Tony, what was your analysis? Um, Okay, can we start from some good things, Rory? I, I, I didn't hear any, but yeah, go on. Well, I think it's worth trying. I think it's Go worth saying it. at least like the increase in the minimum wage was more than we thought was going to happen. Yeah. It's 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 pissed off enough people who you see are relentlessly poor payers if in the in the market. So um it's something to be given a little bit of a pat on the back. We've seen um some of the efforts that have been made to on the movement of income tax bans and it's a slight it's a slight how do I put this? Um, to, the, to their credit, that if you're on 150 grand, you're not benefiting any more than on the, from the income tax changes than someone on, say, 75 grand. But they've failed the test whereby someone is on 35 grand of, like, you know, an average wage. They're actually getting less than, so they're coming, they're about 340 quid off. Whereas someone at 50,000, 50, is up 800 quid. So they've aimed it specifically between people, people between 50 and 75,000. Yeah. And, and yeah. that's where they've pitched the income taxing. I'm going to give them a little bit of credit. I think they would have generally, last few years, anyone over 100, 100 grand, 125 grand was doing four times better than people on, you know, 35, 40,000. Would they not have been better not given tax cuts at all, given oh, that we need to yeah. I, I, invest in public services and sustainable yeah. finances and all that? Yeah, so so you, you've just taken the rug out from under me altogether, because <laughs> neither of us think we should have been at, at tax credits, uh, tax cuts. We know, like, the cost of those things I'm talking about come to almost double the cost of what it would have been to, say, what the SRI recommended in, in its second tier of child benefit, which would have meant... What is it? A hundred thousand? Sorry, two hundred thousand households taken out of the at-risk of poverty threshold. Forty thousand children. Scary thing. We could have done that, but now yeah. instead we're giving tax tax. You know, eight hundred quid to people who probably could have gone without the eight hundred quid and actually felt better about the fact that there's you know forty thousand children less um, at risk of poverty. Yeah. So yeah. so. I, 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 
True, true. And, and and that is the point, I think, that again, it's following that same kind of, you know, thinking, which is, oh, we give people tax back because that's how we'll help them out. Because it's individualizing in the sense of, first of all, create the idea tax is bad. And secondly, that, you know, what you really just need is a few more quid in your pocket, not for us to try and control prices or provide proper health care and housing and transport so that you can actually live in a, in a decent income, uh, have a decent quality of life. So I think that, unfortunately, it perpetuates that thinking that narrow thinking and we should have you know? and we should have actually increased taxes as 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 on your pre-budget analysis with michael taff and, and trisha keelty and um tom mcdonald clearly demonstrated and the facts actually i don't know if you saw this the green party are out again with the same department of finance graphs that they used the last few years saying this is another progressive budget which yeah, ignores the fact that, that they're, yeah. al- they're already out on social media so they've obviously had these ready Another yeah. another progressive budget. I put that to Nessa Hergen like um, a couple of days ago, and she didn't disagree with me. She said, "Yeah, no, the last couple of budgets weren't progressive because deprivation rates went up, inequality went up, and homelessness went up." How is it progressive? Yeah, exactly. And and to hear that the uh, them go on about you know, and in particular Pascal Donahue go on about child poverty and addressing child poverty when we have the highest ever numbers of children in homelessness is hard to hard to listen to. Um, the you look angry, we, Rory. I am. I am. <laughs> yeah. It, 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 the housing thing, I think, was worse than I expected. I thought that they would at least put something like an extra billion or something into housing. They put nothing. No. And the significance of that is that they put no increase in capital investment into housing, which actually is a cut. Because inflation is outstripping what was put in last year. So it's effectively a capital investment cut in housing. And 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 I think that's actually one of the main reasons why we should have had no tax cuts. We should have, uh, and we should have availed of the surpluses. But, and actually then you see... It's again the the things they haven't introduced the the rent the renters credit and the um, tax break which it is it's a tax incentive or a subsidy to landlords absolutely and, is, and, yeah. and but all of that but but even the money they're giving to the tenants goes to the landlord yeah so it's exactly so it's and, a, it's another wealth transfer device yeah and and we you know we talk about this later the the you know what they should have done in yeah. terms of. Um, the proposal that I've made and we discuss in detail about reducing rents, you know, and what this is in terms of that wealth transfer to landlords. And again, it was thought at some level, and I know the, the homeless NGOs were advocating for this, that the any tax break brought in for landlords would be linked directly to security of tenure, increasing security of tenure. But there was nothing. There was no requirement for security of tenure for landlords so they were they're going to change that and spin it and say that they give the tax to break to the landlords if they stay in the market which they could evict tenants on a weekly basis and still be staying in the market exactly and more importantly did they have to will they bother registering for an extra 800 quid with the with the rtb because we know there's a huge discrepancy in the who's registered with the rtb and how many people are landlord uh, tenants sorry according to the cso so is the incentive is the incentive enough it's not it's it's in terms of you know is is any landlord going to make a decision to stay 
in the market based on that. The ones that are leaving are leaving because they want to sell up and they don't want to be a landlord. They don't want to deal with such things, awkward things as tenants um, and tenant regulations. So that's why they're leaving. So it, it it's it's a weird thing for the government to do. It's like they want to be seen to be acting on behalf of the good people in society, the, the landlords who are hardworking and... Uh- you know, who've uh, made their investment. and But it's almost like they want to make it be seen to their wider, you know, I don't know, upper middle class groups as opposed to, because even the landlords themselves are going, that's, not, that's meaningless to me. Um, so it, it's it's a bizarre one. But, and but, but really I, I, just, can I point out one other thing on that? The other, there, yeah. there was a third leg to that three, three legs still and the other one was uh, vacancy, um, taxes on vacancy and it's negligible. It's nothing. Yeah. Five. They, they've gone from three times to five times. So yeah. it's basically, you know, it's still very, very minimal as a tax um, and it's still still self-declared. Yep. Um, but it should be minimum 10 times. And, and you know, the, as, as, as the lads um, uh, from an, uh, from the nation Cork point out, uh, yeah. you know, Frank and, Frank and Jude, Jude you, you either make it really big. And make people get them turn around quickly, or you make it small, but on but on all vacancy, you know. And yeah. this is yet again the Irish halfway house. We did fucking neither. Excuse my language, but yeah. there we are, you yeah. know. And they put it back as well. They they also of course um, they did. They've put back the uh, the land site value, or not the site value, but the uh, zoned land tax as well. That's been put back a year. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, again leaving la- you know landowners off. And so one other, one other, other, one other thing that was real funny, just want to point out, was they announced additional beds and then had to pr- bring it down from the Department of Public Expenditure because they'd already announced it already. Uh, there was a lot of that in the budget, and that will start to come out over the last next few days. But that one was picked up by David Cullinan saying, "Hang on, you're just reannouncing plans you've already, you know, uh, you've given out months ago." So it's crazy stuff. Yeah, and it is like you know, it's mad that. You know, at a time of, you know, unprecedented surplus in public finances, we're actually seeing a cut in capital funding um, to, you know, build housing, homelessness record, homelessness, you know, no even small things like rent arrears fund, um, you know, like reintroducing the, the eviction ban. It's just, again, the budget really, really, for me in housing, it was an utter, utter failure. Um, and really, One other I, failure, know, depart- people with disabilities, Rory, completely neglected yet again. Yeah. 12 quid, as yeah. Trisha said, Trisha Kilty said, isn't going to, yeah. doesn't even pull back any of the, the damage done the last couple of years for people on, on welfare rates. People with disabilities, I've seen from Access for All they put out, that um, the government has reported that sits with them. That states categorically, people with disabilities need eight and a half to twelve thousand more than the average person just to live, and nothing in this budget addresses that that poverty gap. It's just, you know, again, we have huge disability people with disabilities living in poverty rates higher than the EU average across the board here, and it's just yeah. this isn't going to help it. I- yeah, another area was the uh, actually one that I would see it in my own work is the PhD researchers as well, yeah. who were had been campaigning for an increase in their um, funding, their stipend, and that no change um, in that as well. So they're basically, as they say themselves, on forty percent below the minimum wage. PhD researchers. Go back to Connor Reddy, who's the head of the P- the PhD union that they've put together and get his comment in the next few weeks on that because Connor's been very good at, at trying to advocate for that but maybe he didn't like to give it to him because he's affiliated with PBP Rory <laughs> 
I don't know if they'd be that specific. Uh, it's a, I, I, a general begrudgery. Yeah. Uh, what, what did you make of the mortgage interest tax relief? As someone who's struggling, that sounds great, but I don't think it should be done at all. Yeah. It, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, it, there's, 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 so what, what does it mean then for people in terms of it? It's not coming in for everybody. It's someone who, it, if you've between 80,000 and 50,000, and how do you get it? Because saying it's not that the bank will put it in place. No, it's, it's, it's back to revenue and it's back to the old mortgage, you know, the, the mortgage relief at, you have to credit, you have to claim it on your, on your annual returns, add it as a credit, um, and your, make sure your bank backs it up. But it, the issue is it's, it's only for sort of variable rate and tracker rate mortgages. So people who've been, you know, so hit hit hardest yeah. by the interest rate increases. Mm. So again, that's at that's at that so category of people who are on already probably that seventy five grand earners. You know, they're they're already homeowners. Yeah. Yeah. They're established and they're feeling the pinch yeah. on that. And it works out, I think, at about sixty quid a month. Um, yeah, you know. but it's interesting. It it the high the the um. The highest level you can get is twelve hundred, which is still, you know, it's it's substantially more than what renters got yeah. in terms of yeah. the seven hundred and fifty, which I think is an increase, an interesting comparison. That, you know, if they were introducing, you know, if you're introducing mortgage mortgage interest relief, it should be the same. Renters should get the same. Should, you know, there shouldn't be a re- like we should be reducing rents. We'll you will people will listen and hear your argument for that in the in the second part of this podcast, but, um, like. The idea that that, as I said, I'm a mortgage. I'm a mortgage. I'm I'm happy enough to get the tax relief, but I'd rather it didn't go that way. You know, um, that's that's it's it just seems in it does seem an imbalance. I do think the um the it's the one off payments, Rory, particularly. Uh, yeah, and. and- Sorry, but yeah, I just see one family saying there that they were devastated to hear that there was no once-off 400 euro cost of living for lone parents whose children live in higher levels of poverty than others. Um, she, they said, great, that cares, people with disabilities and those working pa- family payment get it, but it just doesn't make sense. Yeah, but I, I, um, but I, no one should be relying on one-off payments in, in this system. And as we've pointed out that when they do the one-off payment, you get the 400 quid, Particularly with the credits, the energy credits, they're actually subsidies to keep the the price of gas and electricity high. You know, yeah, like that's that's, yeah. that's not price controls. That's actually funding the the higher price levels, and that's where it's starting to bite. Like, I mean, thank God it's 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 October's twenty degrees. It shouldn't be. So we should all be terrified that it's um that yeah it's playing yeah. out in front of us. I just on that the, the the retrofitting, the increase in funding for retrofitting. Was a massive seven million increase from 80, 84 million to ninety three million. Um, sorry, that's a nine million increase. I don't exactly have the right figures. I think to hand, but it's it's it was eighty something to ninety something. But it's it's pittance. Like it's absolutely nothing in terms of what actually should be you know should be invested. Oh, it's deplorable, um, Rory. The, 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 if yeah, you look at the yeah. figures that, and again going back to it on climate action, the actual size of the budgets. I mean, I want to make one cheap dig. I've never seen more people take a picture of the bus as the 99 going through the Phoenix Park recently. And it was like, this is what the Greens have delivered in government. We got a bus that goes through the Phoenix Park and you're thinking, no one can afford the petrol, no one can afford to heat their homes, no one can, and you're going to give us all 200 quid. It's, you know, it makes the idea of climate action 
by you and me, very difficult to do. Really, really difficult to do. And it scares me that it's become such a class division because we don't need that. We actually need everybody on board. Um, you, you mentioned retrofitting. You mentioned how we should be doing this. And we should absolutely be doing retrofitting to a degree whereby we know when we're doing it properly that you know it's creating jobs that it's, it's building industries it's giving sustainable um it's giving sustainable work and it's actually paying off we know other countries have done it better but yet here we are again piecemeal and haphazardly you know well, what you should actually be doing is you know making major radical changes in terms of investment in climate and in housing that we set out now very clearly tony in a discussion we had before the budget came out and what should have been in the budget. Yeah. So I think listeners yes. will enjoy this and find this interesting and use it in the coming months um, and years to advocate and push for the change that should happen. We'll leave it there. Welcome to Reboot Republic, the podcast that goes behind the headlines and looks at the big issues in this republic of inequality. We are the podcast of solutions and the podcast of hope. And I'm your host, Rory Hearn, and delighted to be joined on the podcast today by my co-host sometimes and also producer of Reboot Republic and at Buttershack, the wonderful fact-check Tony Groves. Tony, great to have you back in the pod. Good to see you, Rory, and, and great work. I want to recommend to people, if you listen to this, go back and listen to the budget because um, you put the team back together. Yeah, yes, had, uh, we did. We did. Trisha, Michael, and Tom, and it's really well worth listening to uh, in advance of what's going to happen on the tenth. Yeah, absolutely. They we had a great chat um, with our three amigos, who really one of our they are our, I think amongst our listeners' favorite guests, and and they go through what should be in the budget. Um, a kind of, you know, a social justice, equality, economics analysis. Uh, really, what you're not hearing in the general discussion. On it, Michael Taft, um, Dr. Tom McDonald, and Dr. Tricia Kilty. We also had a really good podcast discussion with Barra Roundtree, Dr. Barra Roundtree from Trinity. They I, got I'm quite not... a lot of feedback around the whole question of is Ireland unequal and what should be done in the budget on that, too. Great discussion. Well, I, I do think there's an, another conversation we had there because of what gets measured. We still, the program for government was supposed to have well-being indicators and all the rest of it. They haven't really been, you know, taken flight yet. And now we're in this situation whereby um, they're saying inequality was, we were doing a great job uh, decreasing inequality and deprivation levels up until the last couple of years. But if you actually benchmark it as 2008 pre-crisis, pre-global financial crisis, we have just stood still, Rory. Yeah, and I also think it raises major, major questions about the nature of economic growth. And this whole thing has been, the go the government has trumpeted and everyone has been trumpeting the past, you know, six years of this amazing economic recovery. But yet at the heart of that recovery, inequality is worsening, deprivation is rising. So the question is, you know, well, what, what are we not doing? And we know we haven't prioritised the social aspect society um, and it is being broken around housing. And that's what we want to talk about today. The budget that should be in the budget, which is going to be announced on Tuesday, um, which is Tuesday, the 10th of October, the budget the national budget, and it really does set out our priorities for what we're doing as a country, you know, where we're spending the money around taxes, around um, public expenditure, and housing is what we're going to focus on in today's podcast. So, Tony, we we want to chat about a few things. Um, I think the first things we should talk about is something that um, 
I have been uh, raising about a hell over, which is the landlord's tax break. The proposal for the landlord's tax break. Um, I, I, I was deeply disappointed to see this. I, I had a sense it was coming because we've heard this narrative and seen this narrative over the last two or three years. And it's due. Let's be straight about this. It's due to lobbying by the landlords and the, the large corporate landlords. The landlords landlords are finding it hard. That's why they're leaving the market and they're really struggling at the moment. And therefore, they need a tax break. You know, that's what they need help because they're not making enough money. So they need to be just, you know, convinced. Here's an old tax break. Will you stay in the market? See, can you squeeze a bit more from a few more renters? Don't leave just yet. But it's it, nonsense narrative. It's actually it, untrue. It's worse than that, Rory, because if you wanted to say how the economy works, it's a great idea of how the, this economy works because the, per, the the tenant has to pay income tax to get their salary to pay the rent that's going to be taxed less at, at lower levels than the, the tenant's salary so passive income will yeah. be ta- taxed yeah. less than active income it's an actual insult to to this idea that we reward working people, the, we reward the people who get up early in the morning, all of this narratives that they like to say that they represent. Bullshit. Like, if they're going to go this route, what they're doing is actually, Rory, uh, you know this and you'll put it better than I do, it's a wealth transfer. It is. Absolutely, yeah. No, you're right. And, and I did name that on um, The Tonight Show and... It is. It is absolutely a wealth transfer. A wealth transfer from those who have the least wealth in this society, renters. Um, and we know amongst renters are some of the most disadvantaged groups in society. Um, lone parent households disproportionately represented. People with disabilities disproportionately represented. Um, and what are the government doing? Saying we want to give those who own multiple properties when... We've so many of, you know, younger generations and increasingly older people as well who can't ever buy a home. And in part, large part, that is because landlords are squeezing so much rent out of them. And and, and one of the things that really, and it links to what, um, it links this directly, is, you know, I, I've put out there and it's, you know, other people have as well. But I really, I wanted to put it out there. I put it out today um, on uh, social media, a call for rents to be reduced by 20% um, back to the levels they were in 2020. And why this links directly to the question of tax breaks and landlords leaving the market is because the argument is that, you know, we say, oh, rents have increased so much, but no one says, we increased the rents. Landlords increased the rents. Why did they increase the rents? What was the justification? There was no actual cost increase. 100% they've increased since 2011 where is the cost increase that justifies that just I it mean, is greed I, it is like we've we've had a people talk about the cost of living crisis there is very much a cost of uh, greed crisis the people yeah. talk about inflation we have to talk about greedflation like i mean the likes of supermarkets and all increasing their profits by 30 percent you know that's you don't need to increase your profits by margin by thirty percent in in eighteen months when people are put the pin or the collar. That's and in the US what they called it was the take the pay a little bit more premium. It it was it really interesting yeah. where they did this. They like like there's a lot of analysis been done by economists and and social activists to show that major corporations said we'll call this to pay a bit more premium. So if we pick if people are suspect thinking that things are going to go by ten percent, push it to twelve. 
you know, just take a little bit more yeah. and see what you can do. And we see this now playing out. But as you what you point out quite correctly, unfortunately, the ear of the Minister for Housing seems to be given to the lobbyists as opposed to the renters. Yet again, like you've been talking about, we've had, I think we've had this podcast four years in a row, Rory. Renters been left behind. <laughs> <laughs> we have, unfortunately. Yes, we have. We've been talking about this and highlighting it and, you know, that was one of the things that, you know, they refused governments, successive governments here um, have refused to control rents properly. Like they brought in the, you know, the rent pressure zones, which initially had a 4% rent cap each year, which you're going to 4% rent cap, which was directly, as we pointed out at the time, related to what the, uh, the investment funds wanted as a rate of return. Exactly. Um, now they've brought it back to just 2%. Um, per year, but we know there's widespread, widespread uh, breach of that rule, um, widespread breach of the the RPZ rules, um, ignoring of them. We know that there's you know thirty plus landlords who haven't even registered with the RTB because they're showing up in the census, and this whole issue of um, I was really struck by one of the arguments from the landlords' um, representatives has been Pat Davitt in recent, in the last kind of two years, he's pushed hard saying, so many landlords are leaving the market because they can't charge the market rent. This is his argument. He said this on the radio and uh, in many places, and I imagine he's, he's been saying it to the minister as well. And he's saying like the RPZs need to be scrapped, that basically people need to be able to charge the market rent. And what the SRI showed uh, two weeks ago in their research and I was a bit annoyed about how this research was portrayed but it showed that the actual average rent being paid not in new tenancies but across the board is only between 10 and 16 percent below the market rent and he's gone quiet about it since that was released which basically shows that the rents most tenants are paying are actually very close to the market rent and the whole argument has been that landlords are leaving because they can't charge the market rent. Well, actually, most of them are very close to charging the market rent. And of course, we know really, um, and again, Barrow was very good on this, um, Barrow Rowntree saying that, uh, and in the Irish Times this week as well, saying that a tax break for landlords, there's, will, there's no guarantee and no evidence that it will actually um, keep landlords in the market. It's also potentially going to cost three, four hundred million a year because how do you differentiate between one landlord and another landlord? As you said, it's going to some of the most privileged groups in, in Irish society, the wealthiest. So the government does appear very captured by them. I wonder, do you think they'll go ahead with it? Um, I think they want to. I genuinely will think they? they. I think they will, Rory. I think they, what you'll have and you'll, it'll be framed and it's already been framed as a little bit of everything for everyone. So, yeah. you know, we have to give the landlords this. But on the on the other hand, we're, we're going to have three 200 quid a month um, for you to help you with your, uh, with your electricity and gas bills. You know, so they'll... And to go back to the great conversation you had with Tom McDonnell and, and, and Tricia and Michael, he, they made pointed out, easier to give you 600 quid and let that... But let the landlord actually get their income increase by 50 quid a month forever. You know, you get a yeah. one-off payment. Yeah. And you think, well, I did all right. But we're actually you're getting a one off like um in another in another in another world we'd call it a bribe. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Exactly. But the other the inequality within it is that we know every landlord will get the tax break. Yeah. But yet how many tenants are not getting the the tax credit on their rent? 
We know, a very large number of well, them we, are we know, not. We know that because the CSO figures, uh, the census figures don't match the, the RTB yeah. figures. We they know that. can't get it. They're afraid to ask their landlord because the landlord isn't registered. They can't you know, find the landlord. So tenants aren't able to take up that tax credit. Um, so I think that would be a massive mistake. Hopefully they won't, but um, we'll, we'll obviously can I, highlight it. Can, can I ask you the awkward yeah. question? How do, you, how do we reduce rents by 20%? So you introduce legislation that says rents need to be reduced back to 2020 levels. That's what you do. And you enforce it through the, the Residential Tenancies Board. That's what they did in Berlin. They required all landlords to reduce rents back to, I think it was a t- two year previously, um, and they put in place a five year um, rent freeze as well along with it. Now, everyone will point out, ah, but they had to then go reverse it because it was found to be unconstitutional. But that doesn't mean you don't do it. That doesn't mean you don't try to do it. They tried to do it because it was the right thing. And actually, tenants did get money back. Um, so I, that's what the government does. It introduces legislation and says rents need to be reduced back to um, 2020 levels. It extends. Doing that, you extend the rent pressure zone to every part of the country um, so that every part is covered by rental legislation and you enforce it. And... I know uh, what they will say is, oh my God, you think the mental landlord is leaving now? Wait till that happens. Like, yeah. what would we do? But there has to be a point at which we go, actually, this is not, this is not okay. We need to do something. that, Like, there is no justification for rents increasing 100%. And, and actually, people are contacting on social media and saying, in actual fact, in some places, many places, rents have increased by 300%. They're giving exact example, the house that was for rented for 700 euro uh, in 2011 is now for whatever that is. Um, 2,100, yeah. Yeah, exactly. That, that, that's what, you know, they're pointing out that, that that's just 100% is the average rent. So there's going to be lots of cases outside that average. Um, but that's what a government, that's what the government should do. And I know I'm going to be lambasted for this and, you know, will be called all sorts and told that that's, I, I don't see like, is it not a logical thing to do? Housing is a human right. You have to regulate it. Yeah, I, I agree. But I also think that, you again, you're right, you'll be called a radical. Um, but it's always really funny what we consider radical now. You know, remember we had the conversation with Lalani recently and we were laughing about how the idea of secure, stable home was, was actually considered radical. It's just, it's bizarre. Yeah. But in terms of then... Let's say Sinn Fein's proposal to freeze the freeze rents and give renters back two months um, of of their rent. Again, I'm going to say it's more it's more it's, uh, the demand side stuff rather than supply. It's it's the wrong. It's the you're it's tinkering at the edges and using the money that we have to try and buy time. It's whereas an actual rent decrease, you know, is going to bring everything a bit more back into line. Where because we knew rents have chased. Like, sorry, HAP has chased rents for years. Yeah. And now, you know, this yeah. is where we're, we're, yeah. we're at now. We're in a situation where so many people in the private rental market who are two people working still need a HAP top up to, to, to meet these rents. It's crazy. Yeah. yeah. I, and, you know, I'm, I'm dealing with people who are, you know, coming to me, contacting me, looking for help, um, you know, who are in homelessness who are trying to find somewhere to rent and the rents are beyond the HAP limits and they there's some discretion 
around what local authorities can give people to cover that rent. But local authorities are telling them it's uh, the rent is going to be over 35% of your income. Therefore, we're not going to give you discretion on top of it. So people have been told that essentially you have to stay in homelessness and we're not going to cover, not going to cover your rent or a portion of your rent because you will still be paying a top up. You know, there's these ludicrous situations that we're in. Um, and if you decreased rents across the board by 20%, well, that would free up in terms of state expenditure on HAP. Um, it would mean that people who can't get HAP limits at the moment or can't find places to rent would be able to find places to rent. And the argument will come back, well, 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 what, um, who will supply the housing if, um, if you know, rents are reduced by 20%? No one will invest in property anymore in Ireland to rent. And you're going, yeah. And, you know, the whole point is we want people to be able to get a proper public housing or buy their home affordably or rent it affordably. There is people who will invest in Ireland and invest in housing at rents 20 to 30 percent reduced from what they are at the moment over a long term. And there is also we have, of course, our massive budget surplus which is there, like, well, and we uh, also look, have an ability okay, with the, with the, to, to, to invest in, in providing supply of housing. One thing I want to say in the budget surplus, and I know um, Tom argued for rainy day funds and putting it away, and I, I know the logic for that. You know, and yeah. again, I also want to point out, yeah. in, in 10 years' time, we should never forgive this government for the fact that they wasted the opportunity to borrow at 0% to do a lot of the things in now in this market will cost us money because of the interest rate rise. It's absolutely criminal that 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 has been not even discussed still. But back to any money we put into now purchasing, say, buy out of the private market and make them public housing, we still own the asset. It's not exactly. wasted money. Where I'm, I'm fed up with this people saying, "Oh, we can't just splash the money." Yeah. Well, well, you're not. You're not. You're actually creating a stable stable um, rental market. You're you're creating, you know. According to the supply guys, if we do that, we'll help uh, reduce rents for everybody by bringing down re- rents in a certain area if you if we start purchasing them. And then we're actually in a, in a position where the state actually owns these properties. Whereas, as you know, Rory, in many of the cases, the longer the 25-year leases, we don't even own them. We're just leasing them for 25 years and we don't know what's going to happen then. Yeah. And I do disagree with Tom on it. I do disagree with Tom on that. Um and I disagree with those arguments that we should be putting money, this money into a rainy day fund. And I disagree with the argument that if we invest it now, it's just inflationary. Because as you said, right, you could buy using compulsory sales orders, using compulsory purchase orders, you could purchase a massive amount of property from those. You could every landlord who said they wanted to leave now, we have enough money to buy all those properties off them. And turn them straight away into public housing. And a figure you pointed out to me just before we started, that there's only two cost rental uh, tenanted situ uh, homes bought using the cost rental approach, which is buying um, housing where the tenant is in place. They don't qualify for, so- for social housing because of their income, but they would qualify for cost rental. Just two being bought. And, you know, I hear again, people are contacting me. People are contacting me and saying that the council is saying, oh, your income is above the cost rental threshold. Uh, we can't buy it then. Your um, The property is not quite up to the standard we would expect. It requires investment. And you're just going, it's actually 
crazy stuff. You could keep people in their home. You know, it, it just shows all our whole housing policy is still about restricting eligibility to public housing. That's what it's about. It's not about expanding public housing and about... You know, it's still about subsidizing the market and we're going to see that. Sorry, you want to come in. We're going no, to see no, that in the budget I wanna, again. I, I want to ask you there's something. I haven't done the numbers yet, but it was something that was running through my head as listening to you talk. The output of housing that we're talking about, the state is putting out, was so low, Rory. I would argue if, you, if we took in the last eight years, we're probably putting more people through the homelessness ordeal than we have in terms of outputs in, in properties that we've produced over that same window. Well, if you look at it, in just the 12 months um, from July of last year to July of this year, 20,000 households were given a notice to quit from their private rental accommodation. We don't know how many of those have gone into homelessness, how many of those have gone into hidden homelessness. Um, There are, you know, huge numbers of people being forced into hidden homelessness, into emigration, And, you know, we are probably not a million miles away from that, you know, that there were pushing as many people into homelessness as homes we are building. But in particular, around our social housing and our affordable housing, um, we built less than a thousand affordable homes last year. So, you know, we've pushed 20 times that into into homelessness. Um, And this year, the figures are really stark around um, the affordable purchase and cost rental home delivery, about 120, or sorry, not about, 123 in cost rental and affordable purchase homes delivered in the first six months of this year. And when you look at the figures, this is really important. It's one, something I wanted to talk yeah, about. Yeah, no, I was going to ask you, let's, let's get to the budget and let's get to the idea of, as I've said, um, the figure, the head, they're going to show out, you know, Four billion on this, twelve billion, eleven yeah. billion overall package, or whatever it is. But and it all sounds great. But you were looking at it, and you don't. You were looking at it on the basis of going, well, let's not get over take it. Let's let's not think that this overall number is 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 the, is is really what's going into the crisis. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So I went through the uh, as I do for the crack. The uh, estimates, the the budget allocation from the Department of uh, Public Expenditure for the Department of Housing for 2023. So that's for this year. And there's no major change expected for next year. So we'll, we can expect something similar. And when you break down the headline figure of, because they will say we're spending four billion, you know, on housing. First of all, they're likely to give a figure that includes uh, land development agency money, housing finance agency money that isn't actually um, investment from the government. It's linked to loans. And so it shouldn't really be included there. But the overall figure from the government spending that will be allocated to the department within the Department of Housing to housing being spent in 2023 was 3.7 billion. Okay, so that's close to four billion. Now, the first thing is to say is we spent twenty two billion on health. So it does show that, you know, we say, why are we in this housing crisis? Well, because we don't invest in housing. And even obviously we have a health crisis like we don't treat it like health. We don't invest in it like health. And that's where a massive change needs to happen. But even within that three point seven billion. One point four billion of it, so that's you know, close to a third, over a third of it, 
is not on what's called capital or actual building. It's called current spending. And it will go to things like the housing assistance payment, which is over half a million goes on that. Half a billion. Goes to the rental... Huh? Half a billion. It's not quite a billion. No, no, no. No, it's no, 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 no it's, you... It's, you said you said you said half a million. I'm just saying half a billion. Oh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> yes, yes, half a billion. Correct. Yes, yeah, half a billion. Yeah. So it's exactly in 2023, the HAP allocation was 544 million. Uh, the RAS expenditure is 113 million. That's the rental accommodations scheme. What's called the social housing current expenditure, 367 million. That includes the leasing schemes as well, and homeless accommodation. So that's emergency accommodation, 215 million. So over a billion is going to private landlords, corporate landlords, uh, investor funds, and private emergency accommodation providers. That's over, and 1.4 in total, close to a third, is not actually building homes. Um, you know, just, just just really rough figure on that. That's 16 and a half grand per homeless person per month to a, a, a private provider of emergency accommodation. Month. Per yeah. month. Yeah. And they won't give people uh, the uplift and the housing assistance payment to get them out of homeless accommodation. Unbelievable. Um, it really is. It really is quite something in, in terms of the discretion on it. Yeah. Um, then when we look at even, so then we have the capital side, which is a 2.3 billion on capital, which is, you know, is you think, okay, that's 2.3 billion been spent on building new homes. Actually, when you break that down, you see that, no. Uh, local authority housing is 1.2 billion. So that's new social housing being bought or developed by local authorities, or it's um, the affordable purchase scheme being ex- extended. Housing associations get in the region of three to four hundred million. Uh, building social housing, building uh, affordable. Well, and then there's a cost rental scheme. Se- only, only seventy-five million is allocated to cost rental housing. So we're spending three times as much on emergency accommodation as we are on cost rental. Ten times as much going to private landlords as going to cost rental. There's an affordable housing fund of ninety million. But then there's 50 million goes on regenerating social housing estates, 87 million goes on retrofitting, 12 million goes on repair and leasing, there's private housing grants goes to 67 million, the defective homes 65 million, maintenance of local authority 31 million, first home scheme 50 million, Krina Kona had 30 million. So actually when you look at it, we're of that capital expenditure we're only spending about 1.5 billion, 1.6 billion on actually new building and purchasing of social housing. So you see the 4 billion goes back to 1.5 billion. Mm. And you see, actually, when you cut through the spin, we're really not seriously investing in building new public housing. And again, and I think that's a really important message. Really, I have to, just to hammer that home, you mentioned the ESRI, was it two years ago, the ESRI said, go out and borrow? And double yes, what you're spending on, on, on capital. Yeah. Double what you're what you're spending on housing and build, build, I think, build. I, yeah, I think if I remember correctly, and this was prior to we knew the budget uh, surplus windfall yes. was there. They recommended seven billion a year, mm-hmm. if I remember correctly. Uh, but oh, the seven billion was the capacity, the spare capacity that was there to invest in housing, and that included, of course, your point. 
borrowing at that time. But I think correct, they recommended four billion um being invested. And and I and I really think that, you know, it is one of when we look back and you know that you know you're saying it was a disgrace that they didn't um borrow at low interest rates it's an even bigger um i think disgrace and generational injustice that they're putting this money away and not investing it now in housing like setting up a public uh building company or you know buying as i said out in the irish times article you know buying factories setting up factories to build modular homes well why do you think tony that economists even on the left are so reluctant to invest this money they, they have brought the argument around that it would just be inflationary and we need to put it away rather than investing it now i genuinely think there is a conservatism in all economics you know it's it's that that is part of the course like i mean we only i'm not, not to make fun of it but michael martin has a podcast rory and it might as well be call, yeah. called better things aren't possible because, you know, he's had, Seamus, <laughs> he's had Seamus Coffey on, who was head of the Irish Financial Ca- Council, saying, you know, yeah, it could be, oh, could be better, but, you know, it's all right. Uh, we, he had a guy on who actually wrote... I love wrote, that. Better he, things aren't possible. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, that's, and that is where that mindset that it comes from. And unfortunately, uh, it does... It does control the narrative, p- particularly among certain economic groups. I mean, did you see this week... Um, Economic uh, Nobel laureate Angus Deaton saying uh, economists need to stop measuring uh, growth and economic units and look at, at well-being. When in April... No, I didn't see that, it, but that's... But in April, Michael D. Higgins said the same thing and got told, you haven't a clue, get back in your box, don't comment on e- economics. Yeah. So what yeah. are you going to say now when it's the, the, the economic uh, Nobel laureate telling you, lads? But... It's it's an argument and we're not winning it. And it goes back to, I'm going to plug the conversation I had with Na- Naomi Klein. If we say what you say, you yeah. get smeared as a systemic analysis. You get smeared as, as you know, a radical. Whereas what we need to yeah. do is, is counter that with what she called was a socialism of facts. So, yes. and, and we have to win that debate and we're not winning it. We're not winning it. And I, I'm probably the worst, as you know, because I'm even more, you know, uh, we judgmental about if someone makes makes a call on something i go well you know i won't listen to him on the other thing you know so the left that's has a very to w- kind description of it judgmental yeah I, I i tend i tend to be judgmental and very cynical folks but my david cullinan sat over there yesterday and i said he said you're a bit cynical tony aren't you, <laughs> uh, you know. it, it, it's interesting because you know there's no doubt that um when we look at what's happened in ireland that the broad ideological viewpoint, and, and this is where I would sort of disagree with you to a certain extent, of, of a lot of people has shifted left. There's no doubt about it. They've shifted to, now it's not radical left, but there's absolutely a shift to a sense that, you know, we need to invest in society, we need to invest in public services, not tax cuts, we need to focus on social justice, um, and you know, a huge anger. And obviously people are really suffering as well, really suffering. And the, like, there's no doubt, I think, that the the parties like Sinn Féin, Social Democrats, um, you know, People for Profit are clearly, I I think they are representing that. They are expressing that. Um, And to different degrees, clearly. But we do, there is an absence of, I think, what you might call an intellectual expression of that. Or, you know, a, a mainstream 
expression of you know broad aside from you know Fintan O'Toole to a certain extent you know and but there is a real absence of a of a, a left argument in in a in a broad sense and I don't mean just a political left I mean like this idea of you know, but Naomi Klein expresses, you know, what she talked about you into that excellent podcast, and I really encourage people to listen back to it. It is, it is so important that we do listen to that and go, oh, hang on a minute. We're not just, you know, this isn't just something that, no. you know, we just think is small, that there's, you know, very serious, as you say, eminent economists who point this out, that, you know, not measuring, the whole way we measure our economy, we, what drives it? is completely flawed, like utterly flawed, like consumption, materialism, um, you know, endless growth, infinite growth, you know, profit measures. Like it's all just, you know, and increasingly, like, you know, I see and, and, and if, if I can, if I can, if I can, if I can, if I can Sorry, yeah, yeah. for one second on the consumption piece, this is important because we keep saying, you know, about deprivation, poverty levels, and, and all of that's true. We hear that the economy's booming. That's also true, right? To a degree. But consumption levels are are a de- are back at a decade ago for the individuals in Ireland. You know, in the in the mid sixty percent quadrant. Yeah. So so consumption level, the ability of you able to spend in the economy, live, have a have a life, is is has stagnated and in many cases has reversed. And what we also aren't talking about in Ireland is the amount of people who have fallen out of the middle class over the last few years. And I think yeah. you're saying that they're they're you know finding voice through Sinn Fein, um, sock dams, PP, whatever. I just think they're willing to give anybody else a go because they know that they're worse off under the model that these guys are telling them. Stick with us, and it's not working. That's yeah, the- yeah. No, no, I agree with you, and I think that the model is not working. It's absolutely not working for for a lot of people. It's not working for the environment either and our no. planet, um, and. I think, though, there is something as well that I feel and see happening, which is this values shift, which I've talked about around housing. But you can see it like particularly, you know, not just younger generations, but you see across people are, are you know, they're going, I don't agree with this, the way things are going. And they're, it's finding different expressions through art, you know, through people just, you know, stepping back and going, you know, I actually don't want to engage around this. I want to you know, focus on, on your own well-being or your community's well-being or and I think that the the danger is that we leave the public space continue to be captured and dominated by the neoliberals, as as we said to each other, Tony, the 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 liberals who mask the neoliberals who mask themselves as liberals, yeah. um, and even pretend sometimes to be a bit lefty, but really there's no there's no substance to do beyond a critique that is sort of pretending to be uh liberal and but that, pretending but, but that's to a fa- be... that's a failure to left as well it is but that, that's a point i made earlier that there's not enough no. people from different parts in civil society be they academics be they from ngos be they from political parties who engage in the in the in this as what you talked about and what we talked about the the realm of ideas and of you know that and, and of facts that counter, you know, the the neoliberal, you know, mantra narrative, like actually pointing out, you know, deprivation has risen among some of the most vulnerable groups in our society in the last couple of years. We are continuing to destroy our environment. We are not meeting, you know, you talked earlier about basic needs 
housing of our population. So how can you go on and say the economy is doing great, you know, we're doing so well. These are just little issues that have to be sorted out. No, they're not. They're fundamental. And all the rest is like actually irrelevant if you're not doing the basics of, you know, ensuring people's basic needs around housing, health are met, you know, basic income. And if you're also at the same time running an economy that's destroying the environment and, you know, that people are suffering in terms of mental health, ill health. Um, and I think we need to, you know, that's a difficult final, conversation to fi- raise, particularly fi- in the public debate, but we have to. Yeah, but my final comment on it is, for example, that you, you mentioned Fintan O'Toole. I don't genuinely think Fintan advocates all that social, all that much for social democracy anymore. He certainly doesn't advocate for a change of government that includes Sinn Féin. He's on the record for that. Um, but what I will say is the Irish Times podcast with the three gentlemen the other day, it's talked about Leo Varadkar's comments about Benefit Street and there was a consensus that he was right. Yeah. They believe that naturally enough yeah. if you don't if you're not suspicious of people taking welfare they'll take the piss. So he was just saying as it is and why should he be held to account for that? You know that that message Rory I don't know you're saying we should have, we should debate them Jesus I, I don't know if you can change those minds at all. But I think in this, uh, my view on this anyway, is that it's not so much that you're you're debating those people, which you are trying to at some level. But the real thing is that what you're trying to do in the public anyway is to change the minds of the public and to engage with the public. And they are currently, you know, holding spaces and we have to try and get into those spaces too. Yes, you're debating them, but you're really trying to discuss with the public what is going on. And, and trying to get a different perspective across at the public and go, okay, well, as you say, around the, the benefit street, that, you know, actually this this whole idea, <laughs> you know, you go back to Emma Kerwin and, you know, the who's robbing us like, you know, it's it's the, and who's robbing society and who are the cheats and it's, it's absolutely the the tax evasion, the there's tax more, fraud. There's, the, more, there's more welfare inspectors than there are uh, forensic accountants in the state. Yeah, of course, you know, and, and and you look at the whole basis of our society is based on exploitation, you know, extraction from working people, the the redistribution upwards. And that's not, you know, that's fraud. That's not fraud. Anyway, you know, I think that, uh, but you're right to, you know, I, I think we have to find ways in which we can get, discuss with people these ideas yeah. and get our, you know, ideas and analysis across. And, and, and sometimes that's difficult when you, you have to go into spaces that you don't want to be in. Um, but anyway, listen, that's why we have the podcast. Yeah. Listen, we, we, um, I will, can I say to people, I put out a pod with Giovanni Fontana from secondtree.org about the killing of Fatmata in the migrant who was crossing into Northern Macedonia. If you're listening to it, there's a link for secondtree, throw them a few quid. They're doing important work, uh, and and it's it's you know what's happening in Fortress Europe. We do know we are all aware of it, um, but this is a way of, of helping a, an organisation on the ground that are helping people who desperately need our help. Absolutely, no, no, I completely agree with that. And just um, there is also um, the Dublin Bay North um, for all it, with is organizing a event this weekend. I don't know when this podcast is going out, Tony, um, but it's, I think it's actually too late. But anyway, listen, I'm going to highlight the event because it's a wonderful event in um, 
in Bram Stoker Park in Marino, which is a, a community for all event. And it's lovely to see as you talk about hope. Uh, this is an event which is um, for kids, for families, bringing everyone together from all backgrounds, new communities, existing communities, old communities, everybody. And I think that, you know, there is a lot of this work going on at a community level. Um, which is creating, and it, you know, a new Ireland, and it is the new Ireland, and I think that that's where the hope lies as well. And so, it's important that we highlight that that work going on. Thanks for listening, folks. We'll leave it there. Back in your feeds, Rory. We have a ton of stuff coming, um, so we'll. I'm pretty sure we'll have some post budget analysis as well, won't we? Unfortunately, we will indeed. Yes, we'll get an we'll get an old panel together yeah, and yeah. and have an old uh, root and branch review of, of what happened in the budget and, yeah. a, and a chat about it. And uh, we'll hopefully as well doing a live pod um, soon in the next couple of weeks around the housing crisis and what people can do about it. Trying to see there's a lot of stuff going on, a lot of people doing things, and I think it's important that we we hear what's going on and see can we link together um, and support each other. So I'm looking forward to that. No worries. Thanks everyone for listening. Thanks Tony for producing. And remember, as always, if you can become a patron of the Tortoise Shack, go over to patreon.com forward slash Tortoise Shack. Help us out. We are independent media. We rely on you. And please share the podcast around as well. Let people know you're listening. Give us comments, feedback. um, And as always, it's great to receive them. Thank you so much for tuning in, for listening. Talk to you all soon.